Welcome to Short Stories, a Forest Lake and Anala Writers Group podcast and community radio series. This new series will showcase a selection of short stories, all written and read by a local group of experienced and emerging writers. Hi, this is Bill Pine, and I've been writing books and short stories for about the last 30 years. My working life has embraced school teaching and as a probation and parole officer. I've worked with people from all walks of life and circumstances, so I have a wide range of experiences to draw on. Mostly I like writing period pieces, but I don't have a favourite genre, though the psychology of crime features prominently in my work. This short story is called The Inheritance. In September, Aunt B's message reached me by wireless telegram. Better come home soonest. Your mam not too well, it said. I felt guilty, as I hadn't been home for several years. So we discussed it over dinner that night and agreed it would be easier if I went on my own. I had to wait almost a month for a passage, having just missed a previous sailing by no more than a day and a half at most. Getting to the islands involved the same rigmarole. Nothing had changed. It was still an unsettling three-day voyage aboard any ship that was due to call, and there weren't many of them. This time, it was the Hyperion, an elderly Greek liner that struggled hard with the big swells. And there was still that first view of land around mid-morning on the third day, glimpsed at first, low down as a smudge on the horizon, but gradually emerging from the sea. By three o'clock in the afternoon, the green jungle-clad bulk of the big island loomed over the rust-stained white hull and upper works of the ship. As it lay well off the rocks at Frigate Point, where dolphins frolicked and arched in the surf. The flatter outline of Raqqa was discernible 15 miles to the east, beyond the needle-like rocks of the Barkentines. The smudge of smoke rising from Raqqa's volcano gave the smaller island the impression of being another vessel, a destroyer perhaps, approaching us in a leisurely fashion. As the Hyperion languidly rode the loping waves, three sturdy, 30-foot longboats, crewed by island men, set out through the foaming breakers to begin the perilous process of taking off passengers and freight, including me, for I was home once more after an absence that had suddenly seemed to have been far too long. As the longboat swooped and nosedived through the swells on their way back to the quay, I could hear the locals around me nervously chattering in patois. I found I now only understood about half of what they were saying, another indication that it was indeed time to come home, for a while at least, and rediscover my origins. Town was also exactly the same. Vic's bus lurched from side to side as the horses hauled it up the steep hill from the quay to the square. The bench seat cut into my behind. That too hadn't changed. The cottages of Treacle Miners Row, where the better-off families lived, had been spruced up 
and whitewashed to celebrate the forthcoming agricultural and crafts show. The first show had been held 101 years ago, in 1837, to celebrate the accession of the young Queen Victoria, and it had been held at three yearly intervals ever since, except during the Great War. Aunt B was waiting for me in the porch outside our front door. Her teary face foretold that all was not well. Your mam be real poorly this time, Daniel, she said. Dr Mayhew thinks she may have had a stroke. Just a small one, mind. But you know what that can mean. I bounded up the narrow staircase to my mother's bedroom. To be honest, I had expected it to look worse. She was dressed in day clothes, the long gown and lace headpiece that the older island women wore. She looked as if she was having a rest before going out. Overjoyed to see her, I hugged her and sobbed my excuses for having been away for so long. Oh, there, there, said Mother, patting my hand. Don't take on like that. I'll last a few more storm seasons, I'm thinking. The good Lord isn't keen to have me just yet. But I would like to see your father again. And there, Danielle, she said, sitting up and looking at me sharply, is what the good Lord has kept me here to do. I have something to tell you. But it will wait till the show is open and we're eating buttered scones and drinking bergamot tea in Bessie Morton's tea tent. And try as I might, I couldn't prize the information out of her. The show opened that Saturday on Amos Hames's meadow with a raucous fanfare from the buglers of the boys' brigade, followed by a march passed by the schoolchildren in their Sunday best. The vicar said a few pious words and gave a blessing, and last of all the burgomaster launched into a pompous speech that was cut short when a seagull swooped low and spattered his suit coat with white. That little incident broke the formality. The islanders laughed and joked. Even the mulattoes, who aren't regarded as islanders, standing off to the side in the shade of the fig trees, flashed their large white teeth in shy, self-conscious smiles. Mother, indeed, had had a slight stroke, and it had noticeably slowed her down. She leaned heavily on my arm as we walked along the line of stalls that displayed handwork lace, bolts of island weave cloth, woolen goods, scrimshaw work, oil paintings of island sunsets, carved albatross eggs, whale's tooth necklaces, shell ornaments and various other knick-knacks, items that were sold to crew and passengers of any ships that called in as a means of making a bit of extra money for the community. I particularly want to see the cattle pens, Daniel, Mother said as we sat in deck chairs, sipping Bessie's tea. If, as you say, you're going to be a father by this time next year, then it's important we're there for the two o'clock judging. There's something, someone, I want you to see. That's Gervais Edgecombe over there, she said, nodding her head in the direction of a tall, broad-shouldered man, a bit older than me, holding a prize bull by a short rope that passed through a ring in its nasal septum. He came back when his father died in 1931, just after you left to make your mark on the outside world. 
Gervais, Edgecombe, I sneered. I don't know how he can show his face here. For 25 years, Gervais's father, Sir Ambrose Edgecombe, had been the administrator and hereditary chief landowner of the islands. I was still at school when the colonial office gave him the sack, after news of his wantonly cruel treatment of the islanders finally filtered through to London. Gervais looked every inch his father's son. The arrogance was there, the challenging posture, the curl of the lips that betrayed the hard streak that was bred into all the Edgecombs. Talk of showing his face, Mother said. Look at his nose and the cleft in the chin. Look at the colour of his hair, the way it glanced rose gold in the sun. You see the resemblance? Looking more closely at Gervais, I suddenly realised it was like looking into a mirror. I turned to my mother in horror. That's what I wanted to tell you, said mother. I can't die with that on my conscience, Daniel. You and Gervais are half-brothers. First time Ambrose took me was when I was only a lass of 15, working in the kitchens at the big house. He regarded all us girls as his property, so to speak, though not the mulattoes, of course. He could have had them instead with a lot less fuss and bother, but he didn't. I lost the first baby I had by him, so everybody thought there was no harm done in the long run. But I dug my heels in when they wanted to take the second baby away. They always took the babies away so as to hush things up best they could. But I kept you. My dear cousin Eric, lovely man that he was, married me to give you a name, my dear. Such a shame when he died when he did. You would have gone on handsomely together. They gave us money when we got married. Twenty-five pounds, hush money. A lot in those days. Eric was able to buy his own boat. So I never told anyone, not till now. I reckon a person has the right to know where they come from. It all came out so matter-of-factly, which only increased my distress. My first reaction was to wish she hadn't told me. But once the awfulness of it sank in, and I realised what fate awaited me, my head started to spin, and I held on to mother even more tightly than she had been holding on to me. I pulled her roughly round so that she faced me. Do you mean to tell me, I said angrily, that the blood of Simon the head cruncher flows in my veins? Mother, you know the history. One generation after another, down through the male line, they all went raving mad. Every one of them died well before his time. Believe me, no good thing will come of this. Oh God, I thought, as I buried my head in my hands, how am I going to break it to Bridget? This has been a short story written and read by Bill Pine for the Inala Forest Lake Writers Group podcast. Listen for more short stories from the Forest Lake and Anala Writers Group podcast on your favourite podcast platform and during 2022 around Australia on the Community Radio Network and on London's podcast radio in the UK. For more information on the writers, visit forestlakewriters.com.au. 
Short Stories from the Forest Lake and Anala Writers Group is a Brisbane Podcasting Centre audio production supported by Brisbane City Council. Thanks for listening.